All right, Trinity Church, thank you. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job every week just helping us do what we really want to be at doing at Trinity Church, and that is being a people who are preoccupied with God. And when we have worship services, that is really our highest aim, that we would be able to be kind of focused, uh, fixed on who he is and what he's done for us. So um, we are continuing today in a new series uh, that we just started a few weeks ago called Critical Convictions with a question mark, just kind of asking questions, what are the things that really should be most important? What are things that are important? And what are things that really aren't important at all? And not because I say so, or even you would say so, but related to biblical clarity. Thank you. And um, so that's kind of what we are kind of endeavoring to continue into. We're in week three of that series today. And if you have a Bible, if you want to find your way to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we'll begin. If you have maybe found uh, notes for today on the website, those are printable, that you can be able to uh, get those and have those available. If you are more of a digital person and you are loving our new app, then the notes are available for you there and you can uh, add uh, fill-ins or notes of your own within those spaces on the app itself. So those are all available to you uh, and we'll kind of move forward in that today. As we get started today, we have had some questions. Uh, we have people, global workers all over the world, and a couple of weeks ago, the world was shocked by this amazing explosion in Beirut, Lebanon, and we have one of ours uh, there, Haley Whitehurst, and so she has done an amazing thing working with students in Beirut. And uh, we have been in good communication with her as our missions core and some others that are closely connected to her here at Trinity. And I want you to know, number one, that she is safe. There was some damage to her apartment. But what was so powerful was when Haley wrote back and told us, not just of the devastation of this explosion, but really all of the other ripple effects. There were, she said, 60% of their supplies that they need as a city and as a country were in that port and were destroyed in that blast. And so you have a group of people who are deeply in need. You have uh, aid coming from all over the world, but there is political unrest in Lebanon as well. And so just a lot of issues and a lot of challenges and lay over the top of all that COVID-19. So what I thought we'd do today is just let's take a minute to pray for Haley, but also pray for the people of Beirut, people who are there, the church there, who love Jesus, and people who do not yet have their faith in him. Let's just take a minute to pray for them today. Father God, we come before you on this 16th day of August, and here we are in Southern California, and people might be watching all over the place to this service, even on vacation, or people who've become friends of ours during this uh, COVID quarantine season. But our thoughts and our prayers today are with our friend Haley and with her in Beirut. And we're grateful, God, so much for uh, her love for you and her love for students that she works with. And we just want to lift her up to you today in the midst of cleaning up from some of the wreckage of the explosion that happened a couple weeks ago. But God, her prayer, her concern that we would be praying about today is the people that she is doing life with, the people that she is ministering to, the people that she's an influence among. And we just pray for the people of Beirut 
God, as they go through still finding people that were lost in that explosion, still dealing with the thousands who were injured, still dealing with all of the cleanup and uh, rebuilding process, but God, even all of the supplies that were lost, the political unrest, and add COVID to all of it, and it is just a, a mess and a lot of challenge. So we lift up the people of Beirut to you today and just thank you that Haley's there among them. Would you use the church in Beirut to be a source of Jesus' influence in such a challenging time? We love you and thank you so much for the opportunity to intercede on their behalf. And we pray in Jesus' great name, amen. Well, we're gonna move forward today in this series and I am real excited because I feel like this um, topic that we're gonna look at today, this next in this sequence, is really something very needed and very helpful to us if we will kind of hear what God's word has to say about it and process it through a lens of real application. So today we're gonna get really practical and really helpful. This series was birthed out of an idea of basically what we have said is really true of our denomination. We love that we are part of the EV Free Church. And one of the things, you can't be in an EV Free conversation for very long before you hear that phrase that as a denomination, we major on the majors. And in order to do that, we need to understand with biblical clarity, what are the majors? And the fact that not everything is a major, and if that means that everything isn't a major, there will be a disciplined avoidance to not allow minors to become majors. And, and so that's kind of the thing that we're working through. We started a series called Fear Not that we'll get back to in a couple of weeks. And we said that was an incredibly timely needed series in the midst of so much chaos and challenge. But we said that this series I think is even more timely primarily because of all of the messages that you've been receiving via the news media, social media, just turning on your television. And, and all of these voices are clamoring not only for your attention, but for you to prioritize their cause, their concern at a level 10. And what we're learning is, as we're walking through these weeks together, we're learning that not everything is a 10. And we need to understand through a sense of developing biblical priorities, how we should then engage these things in a way that's honoring to God and honoring to one another. So this is the, the grid that we have been using so far. Whoops. And... Um, let me see if I can get there. There we go. The categories that we've been using, kind of walking through this, have been these four. We started with, a couple weeks ago, this idea of to die for. And what we said in that sequence was, we said, these are the things that, over the course of 2,000 years, what has the church said matters most? What has the church said these things are really the essence, the core, the fundamentals of the faith? And, and what we looked at that week, what I kind of presented, our goal again is not to been to try to tell you what you should put in what category, but at least what we as a church have put in that category is found in our statement of faith. It's taken right from the Evangelical Free Church of America's statement of faith, and we said these are the kinds of things that should be in our fundamentals, in our essentials, the things we're dying for. Last week, we looked at this topic of to divide over. And that's a challenging issue on every front. And what we found as we looked at Acts 15, this powerful passage about the Jerusalem Council and a, a group of people that wanted to say it's Jesus plus 
the law in this case. And in that, they had this amazing conversation heard from people from all different vantage points, ultimately made a decision that it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus by faith alone through grace alone. And through, with that decision, what we saw though, what was beautiful is there was a thoughtfulness for those who really did not have the viewpoint that was carried forward with the early church. And so it was a beautiful picture of the way that they worked together and really found unity. This week, you'll notice, I'm, I have this in your, in your notes, we've changed this word. Originally, I had taken this series from a, a lecture from one of my seminary professors, and I appreciate Gary Brashears for so many reasons, and this has been, this kind of, these four buckets or categories have been deeply helpful to me over the last couple decades since I got done with a seminary. And so within that, I guess it hasn't been that long, maybe about 15 years, and so within that, um, in this process, this blank before, this word, these four D words was to debate about. But I want to tell you in my study this week, I changed that word. And Gary, I know you're not watching today, but if you ever catch wind, I think this is a better D word. And that's to dialogue about, to dialogue about. And, and the reason why I think that is, number one, at Trinity Church, we're not trying to develop a group of people who just are great debaters. Because debate usually means there's a winner and a loser. We're going to talk about that today, how important that is to come open-minded into a conversation and really be a great listener and then being able to someone who can articulate your thoughts clearly. But this other word, the reason why we picked the word dialogue is actually this Greek word, doing some study this week, dialegomai is a Greek word and it means the process of giving and receiving information with someone, look at the goal, to reach deeper understanding. Look at this, a going back and forth of thoughts and ideas so people can better know the Lord, his will, his word, etc. And I love this. It's the root word of the English term to dialogue. So I think this is a great word, and this is such a better approach that I'm hoping we at Trinity have, is not a group of debaters, but instead a group of dialoguers. People who will have a great back and forth, give and take kind of conversation. Interestingly enough, and we'll finish with this today, this word 11 of the 13 times it's used in the New Testament is actually usually having an open dialogue with someone who is not yet convinced of who Jesus is. Not debating them into faith, but having a conversation, having a dialogue. Finally, the last topic we're going to look at next week is to decide on, and we'll unpack that together as a group. So that's kind of where our, um, our series is headed today, and I'm really excited to look into these different categories with you. Um, we're facing a general tenor in our society today that's really being described as a cancel culture, meaning if I disagree with you and your viewpoint, I'm just going to be done with you. I don't want to hear your voice, and I only want to keep surrounding myself with people who agree with me. I would just tell you, biblically speaking, I've never seen that example anywhere in Scripture. I've never seen that church be healthy when it simply throws up walls and says, our way is the only way. We don't want to hear from anyone else. And so within that, we're going to be challenged today. And our goal is to give some skills that we would have good, healthy conversations from differing points of view, because that's not only lacking in our world, but sadly enough, it's lacking in our churches. So my hope is to give you some of those tools and look at scripture today to be able to have a great conversation with someone, even if they have a different viewpoint than yours. And so I want you to notice, by the way, in these topics that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, when we were, by the time we're done with all four, I want you to notice a funnel approach. 
I want you to notice that the to die for list, we have 10 statements of faith within our, uh, our statement of faith document. And so within those 10, we would pretty much say, as you read through those, man, I would say, at least for me, those are the, the essentials, the fundamentals of the faith. And that's a relatively small number. And then you go to that next topic of to divide over, and, and that topic, <clears throat> excuse me, that range of ideas has actually got a bigger amount. There's probably more things that we might divide over than just those 10. And then when you get to today's topic, that idea of, idea of to dialogue about and having differing viewpoints and the amount of topics that are in that category are huge. And then lastly, we'll look at next week to decide on or decide about, man, that's even a bigger topic. So it's kind of like a funnel moving this way and we're taking on more topics each week. Here's our now what statement that we'll look at today. And, um, and if I can get my computer to work, we'll see if we can do that. Because there are so many ideas in which we, as followers of Jesus who are in fellowship together at Trinity Church, so many areas in which we will disagree, we need to be able to have loving, healthy conversations with one another. That's our now what statement, because that's going to happen time and time again. We need a process. We need a foundation. We need both attitudes and skills in order to have great conversations with one another. Number one in your notes today, healthy dialogues begin with humility. Healthy dialogues begin with humility towards one another. Your Bibles are open to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's take a look at verse 5. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is a verse from the very end. It was probably very in the very last week of our study in the book of 1 Peter, which we concluded, I think it was in the end of May. And as we get really practical today and talk about some foundational things, we begin with this most foundational attitude, that of humility. You'll hear Peter say these words, and he's talking through some sequences of various groups, and he says, I don't care who you are, all of you put on, that's what that word, to clothe yourself, put on like a garment, humility. And what does that mean? That means when people see me, that's what they see is what's covering my exterior, they notice humility. Put on humility, and why? Because God opposes the proud. Now, what I found is, before we start talking about this topic of humility, it's really important to define the terms. Humility is actually a very difficult term to nail down in a succinct way. Not only from my study this week, but when you look cover to cover, it is all throughout Scripture. The call that we would be a people of humility. And, and so in order to go further today, what I want to do is let me give you an understanding that I have that I think at least when I'm saying humility, you'll know what I mean. This is a great definition. Being humble means that you have a biblical view of yourself. I think this is a powerful definition. Sometimes we will think that the word humility means someone who thinks very lowly of themselves, someone who grovels, someone who, you know, I'm just no good. That, that's not humility, and oftentimes that's represented as false humility of someone who's wanting people to build them up and feel sorry for me. Humility is best described as having a biblical view of self. And look what it goes on to say, and I love this quote. It means knowing that you are sinful beyond measure, yet loved beyond imagination. 
sinful beyond measure, yet loved beyond imagination, having those two things in tension typically causes us to be humble people. I think that's just such a great way to capture that. And that goes a long way when you consider not only what that means vertically toward God, that we would see ourselves from his perspective of what he's demonstrated through scripture, but it goes a long way in how we treat each other horizontally as well. It causes us to value and esteem others before ourselves and to consistently question our own thoughts and our own perspectives out of love and out of a sense of respect for someone that we care about, someone that we value, and the way they would see it differently. I'll never forget this meeting I was in. I was on staff at my former church up in the desert, and I was in a a meeting with our senior leadership team. There would have been about six of us in the room, and I'll never forget our senior pastor, Tom, and we were having a conversation. I don't even remember the topic, but I do remember what he said. We'd been talking at length, and he finally said, now, wait a second. This is what's really challenging for me. He said, I love and appreciate all of you guys so much, and yet I'm seeing this from such a very different point of view. It makes me ask the question, what's wrong with me? And I remember hearing that statement and just being kind of caught off guard, like, what kind of senior leader double-checks himself when he has people around him that he respects, people he regards that are speaking into a situation, and he's wondering, I value you guys so much, maybe there's something wrong with the way that I'm seeing it. That's a beautiful expression of what having humility in a conversation looks like. That's why it's so important that we remain in community, that we remain in fellowship, and I know that has been so absolutely difficult during this quarantine season. And I would just encourage you, that means all the more we've got to get on the phone. It means all the more that we have to find ways of video conferencing. For those who are comfortable with it, it means getting outdoors. I've had about nine or 10 outdoor meetings over the last two or three weeks, and that has been refreshing to get to see each other face to face and have a meaningful dialogue like we're talking about today. And and here's the reason why that's so important. The longer that we're isolated, the more that we begin to think that our views are correct because they're not bouncing off anyone else. They're just the things that we're dwelling on, things we're thinking, things you might even receive from Scripture, but there's no one to have that give and take back and forth. And that's really what was the, the foundation, what birthed one of our core values. This is one of the ones that we came up with last fall. We pursue spiritual growth and life change. How? Not solo, not as lone rangers, but in community. We think that we will find the best form of spiritual growth and life change when we're doing that together. Why? Because no one person has all the knowledge. No one person has all the perspective. No one person has all the experiences that all of us have that can contribute to our better understanding of who Jesus is and how to pursue him. So I love that we came up with this particular core value, and I love that it represents that idea in in clarity. So if those are the benefits to having humility towards God and towards each other, what does it look like when we don't, when we don't have that kind of humble posture and what comes of it? It's problematic for a host of reasons and specific to our topic today of what we're talking about when we talk about having these healthy dialogues with one another. A book that I have been encouraging you with during this series is this book by Gavin Ortland, and it's called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. I love the subtitle, The Case for Theological Triage. 
And for those of us not in the medical community, we might go, well, I'm not sure what that means. Triage is basically when someone's brought into an emergency room and an emergency doctor is beginning to ask good questions. If they have a gunshot wound to the chest and a broken leg and a hangtail on their big left toe, those things are important, but they're not all the same degree of importance. And they need to be addressed in the right priority or while you're dealing with a hangnail, that person's bleeding out and going to die. So triage is something, it's a word I've used constantly when I'm in counseling sessions with people just trying to ask good questions to know the heart of the matter and what should be addressed first. So Gavin Ortland in his book, this is a great quote that he had to say about the need for humility. This is what he says. The greatest impediment to theological triage is not a lack of theological skill or savvy, but a lack of humility. A lack of skill can simply be the occasion for growth and learning. But when someone approaches a theological disagreement with a self-assured, haughty spirit that has only answers and no questions, I think that's a powerful line. You approach a conversation that has only answers and no questions, conflict becomes virtually inevitable. Man, that's a powerful line and powerful for us in this conversation because that's what we're talking about. How do we have healthy dialogue? And if we come into situations with all the answers and not even interested in knowing from the other perspective what's being shared, conflict is inevitable. So this posture and this attitude of humility is so critical to us having these healthy conversations, and it affects not only the dialogue that we have with each other, but even the kinds of topics that we choose to engage kind of back to these different categories that we've been talking about. Remember, like I've said, our, our hope in this series is not to tell you this goes in this category. I think what would be most helpful is for you to have kind of four boxes or buckets to be able to put different different issues and know what needs more prioritization, what needs more value, and what needs less. But what I've done week over week, I have given you some illustrations of at least some that I would propose. Week one in our series to die for, we've said it earlier today, I just mentioned this is our statement of faith. We think these 10 things are, are really the critical uh, issues related to uh, the Christian faith. On the next week to divide over, I gave you an example from my ministry experience of the idea of potentially working with another church that had a view of salvation that it wasn't lasting, but you could lose it if you did a certain type of thing. That to me was probably is a divide over issue I don't know. It's not me saying that you're not a Christian. It's just me saying I'm not sure our theology on an important topic matter or is in alignment enough to be able to work together. This week, I wanted to give you some examples that I think are the types of things that people could have healthy dialogues about. For instance, at the beginning of your Bible, how we interpret Genesis 1 and 2 in terms of if it's an old earth or a young earth. I got to tell you, I have people in my life who love Jesus who have polar opposite views, or maybe somewhere even in the middle. And I think that's a healthy dialogue we can have a good conversation about. Equally true is the end of your Bible in the book of Revelation. And is that book, all the imagery, all the apocalyptic language, what do you do with that? How do you interpret what Revelation is supposed to mean? That's another healthy dialogue that in a sense of humility can have a great outcome. I would even say in a, in a current event that we're facing is even the issue of if a, a church can or should meet indoors right now. 
that's a great dialogue to have. You know that our leadership between our, our directional team and our elders are having significant conversations about that. And for you as a, a part of Trinity Church, for you to either want to talk to an elder or a pastor or want to talk to one another and have a healthy dialogue and say what not only is available, what's not even true under our constitution, but what's smart, what's wise related to health issues. Those are great conversations. Like we've said, should not lead to division but should be a great place where we can have a humble dialogue. But it's of interest that the New Testament actually suggests that there are some topics that in and of themselves are actually not born out of humility and absolutely have no value, which is wild to think about. Nowhere have we gotten so far in our study that the Bible would even say certain topics aren't the kind that you should even spend your time having a dialogue about. Paul, when he was writing to two of his protégés, uh, Timothy and Titus, in both of these letters to them, he uses this kind of language. See first what he says to Titus in chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Why? Because these are unprofitable and useless. They're, they're not helpful to go round and round. Warn a divisive person, so meaning someone who keeps at it on these topics, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. So Titus, as a pastoral protege, protege of Paul's, is given this kind of instruction. Look what he says to Timothy. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. That's actually the word that's used. Don't waste your time with these conversations because you know they produce quarrels. You know the outcome is only something that creates disunity, not unity. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So just to note, there are actually some topics that probably aren't even of value because of the way that they become so divisive. Number two in your notes today, healthy dialogues need to be rooted in love. Healthy dialogues need to be rooted in love for one another. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is kind of this pivot chapter in the book of Ephesians. Look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Oops. Problems today. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Look at verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
There's a powerful passage in what's been going on in the book of Ephesians. Paul is now kind of swinging into this new part of the book, and he's demonstrating that God has given, sometimes people think of Ephesians 4 as another passage about spiritual gifts. I don't. I see it as a passage about spiritual leadership. These are roles that God has given to his church. And as he's walking through this sequence of roles, it had that clear statement, so that the body may be built up so that people may be equipped to do works of service. So this is all about an equipping type of ministry that leaders in the church are given. And as he goes through this whole thing, the goal is to be these mature people who are not constantly thrown back and forth by every type of doctrine or teaching. But look in the middle of it, even in the midst of all those concerns, how is that gonna happen best? What's the method? Speaking the truth in love. I love this phrase, I use it often when I'm trying to just have thoughtfulness of conversations. And, and, and all of us err to one of these two sides, either consistently or at times. If you're someone who even at, at random times or consistently leans to the truth side, the problem with that is you rarely consider the concerns or the feelings of someone as long as they hear the truth from you. And, and that's not gonna go well. And not only because there's really, you're not living out this passage, but obviously there's gonna be a break in the relationship. Others of us, we've failed to the other side. And, and what we either at times or consistently err to the side of love, and in that, rarely does it ever come up the truth of maybe a problem or an issue or even sin in a situation you just are concerned that people know you care. And I would say either of those two extremes has got something wrong within it, and that's why Paul lays out this tension. This is how we're to respond to each other, to speak the truth in love. It should be of interest of you that um, I've spent some time in each of our categories so far. We've seen this thread of love going through each of, of the two kind of buckets we've looked at, and we'll see it obviously here now again today. In the first week, we talked about not only were these theological, our orthodoxy really mattered, but we saw the biblical superlatives in the New Testament all wrapped around the idea, the orthopraxy of that of love. Loving God, loving people. Above all these, put on love that binds them all together. The only thing that matters is love expressing itself, or faith expressing itself through love. So, so we see these kinds of huge phrases, and we see not only should our belief system have these big rocks, but our attitudes, our behavior, our action towards others, the most important thing that to die for is to love each other well. Last week when we looked at this passage in Acts 15, we noted that at the end of the day, it wasn't a winner's take all. And those who had an opposing viewpoint got kicked to the curb. We saw that there was a, a, a landed on agreement, meaning it wasn't an issue that could be a, an agree to disagree. There needed to be a decision. But for those whose view was not accepted, there were loving concessions made so as not to cause them problems, boulders in the road. And today what we see is when we're talking about these kind of healthy conversations, it's absolutely critical that we have this posture towards one another, not just of a sense of humility, not just where I understand who I am, but I have an affection, I have an agape, 
Like this talked about in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in agape, I have this selfless kind of love for you. Man, when you put those two things together, I have a a biblical view of self and an agape love for you, how can you not have anything but a healthy conversation coming out of that? Sadly to say, I've noticed a trend here at Trinity Church that we specifically struggle with. And though no one would ever put these in words, behaviors have demonstrated something different. And if I could put it into words, this is what I keep seeing over time. If you would disagree with me on an issue, if you and I have a conversation and we're in disagreement, then I somehow am off the hook from needing to love you. If you disagree with me on an issue, I no longer need to love you in my responses moving forward. And I will tell you, there is nowhere in Scripture that gives me that idea. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, because we disagree, I can be rude to you. There's nowhere in Scripture that would give me that permission, but only this kind of constraint instead to love. And I have been in the last few months critical when I have seen that happen in different settings that I've been in. And I get so frustrated and disappointed when I see that kind of an approach. But I want to be candid with you this morning. It wasn't but a couple weeks ago that I found myself in a situation where I was acting that way. I was not demonstrating love. I was not demonstrating the evidence of the Spirit in my life when I had a conversation with a couple of people who deeply disagreed with me. And I realized as I looked in the mirror at that transgression, I asked for their forgiveness on the backside of that conversation. But I realized how ugly that is, not just in other people, but in myself as well. And my hope is that we as a people, as we are looking at God's word today, that we are seeing this phrase, speaking the truth in love, that this will be a point of turning for us that we would all look in the mirror and see that reality and realize that is no way to treat other people, those in the family of God and those outside. So that's why speaking the truth in love is so significant because it will keep us from sinful attitudes like pride or being defensive and help us be calm and actually want to listen and hear what the other person is saying rather than forming arguments already in our minds. It's an attitude that doesn't seek first to be understood, but would rather want to understand. So if we approach people with that kind of agape love, that kind of love that is selfless, not selfish, man, that's going to go a long, long way for the types of healthy conversations, the healthy dialogues we can have at Trinity. Finally today, number three in your notes, having humble, loving dialogues requires practice. Having humble, loving dialogues requires practice. We look to James 1 as we finish out our time today. James 1, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, as a result of this, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and watch and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. This is such a great verse that we need to be reminded of well more often than I do in my own life and for you as a church family. And the point is, if we were all amazing communicators, James wouldn't need to say what he said in James chapter 1. But we know better, and James knew it too. We're not. We're not those great communicators. Most often, it's just the opposite, right? 
We're very slow to listen, very quick to speak, and very quick to become angry. And, and what we call that is we have inverted the adverbs. Our natural, normal way of life is to live this way, to be slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger. But what James says is that we need to invert the adverbs. Adverbs are words that um, describe or modify action words, verbs. So in that, we need to instead be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You've heard me say it before, just even anatomically, the way that we're built We have two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we talk. And those are the kinds of things that will help us be these kind of people. Look at James says, the kind of way that we should relate instead. In being quick to listen, what it is, it's having a a posture and both a skill of really deeply wanting to understand what the other person is trying to communicate. What is being said? I want to hear you. I want to understand well. I think this quote is powerful. I've shared it with you before. Listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as those between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. And this is one of our biggest challenges if we will be a people who instead really deeply care to want to listen, we will just keep talking and we won't be aware of what the other person is saying or what they're trying to communicate. This next idea of instead of being quick to anger, be slow to anger. And in being slow to anger, the problem is we often add more to the situation. I'm sorry, slow to speak. Let me do that one first. Being slow to speak, we often add more to the problem when we speak in haste or when we speak in paragraphs. I've done a lot of marital counseling over my years, and that was one of the challenges that a lot of married couples face is that one will speak in paragraphs and not come up for air for four or five minutes, and the other person doesn't even know how to respond to that. Instead, a dialogue says, I'm gonna be slow to speak. I'm gonna be quick to listen, asking questions to understand what you're saying, and then I'm gonna give out statements after I've thought them through well. And lastly, slow to anger. And I think about that idea of being slow to anger. You and I are so deeply grateful that we have a God who is so patient with us. Deeply grateful that he is so slow to anger. So why would we not want to extend that to other people? Why would we not want to live with that same posture and attitude? And look especially why why anger is such a problem. There's this powerful phrase in James 1, because human anger does not produce the righteousness, the rightness that God desires. Human anger happens most often because we simply are not getting what we think we should get. It's based in selfishness. Often my anger comes from a place of I'm not getting what I think I deserve. And so this idea of human anger is built on selfishness. That never accomplishes what God is after, what he desires. Instead, we should be someone that, back to that agape love, if I am more concerned with you and your well-being, I will be slow to anger instead. And notice that the antidote to anger is humility. Humility mentioned in the last verse that we looked at, it's a posture that will guard against us wanting what we want because we recognize that what we want might not be actually what God wants because, again, we have that biblical perspective of self. So three tools from these short verses alone, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry.
Now, although I wish I could give you more practical tools for having humble, loving dialogues, I believe if we as a church would really begin with those three, we would go a long way. You personally, in your dialogues, in your conversations, if you're someone who's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, you are going to be incredibly blessed, incredibly well-equipped to have these healthy dialogues we're talking about. Now, because these skills, and I just want to finish with this today, because these skills are not limited to just the conversations we have in the family of God, this is another great reason when we think about the people in our relational worlds who are yet unconvinced of who Jesus is. I told you earlier today that this word dialogue is most often used actually in the New Testament of times when Paul was having not a debate with people who had not put their faith in Jesus, but this reasoning kind of conversation. Look at Acts 18.4. Every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So it wasn't just I want to have just a conversation uh, over donuts. It was I, I am trying to be persuasive, but I'm not doing that by hammering you with facts. Instead, we're having a back and forth dialogue. Look what Paul said to the Colossian church. He said, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. How? Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. There's that sense of influence. Why? So that you may know what to say. No, it doesn't say that. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul was more concerned in this passage to the Colossians, uh, not so much of what they knew, but how they were going to approach and have meaningful conversations with people who are not yet convinced of who Jesus was. I really believe that this verse is the heartbeat behind a book that we were introduced to a year and a half ago by one of Trinity's former pastors, Rick Langer. And uh, you might remember um, when Rick came, this is a book that he co-wrote with Tim Muehlhoff, and it's called Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World. And if you might remember, Rick came out and preached on a Sunday morning and then in Sunday afternoon did a two plus hour seminar on this book and what the premise of it was. And I would just say, I can't think of a more fitting book on today's specific topic of things to dialogue about than this book. This book lays out a great foundation from the very beginning, but then gets into some really technical skills of how to have a great exchange and not to belittle other people, not to get into debate mode, but instead to be someone who is humble and who is loving and wants to have a good back and forth type of conversation. I'd highly recommend this book to you if you're someone who really wants to progress or really wants to grow in terms of your skills of having great conversations. So we walked away today with not only an understanding of the kind of attitude that we ought to have as people who would approach others out of humility and out of love, we also see today that there are some topics that just aren't worth our time. They come from either a quarrelsome spirit or they lead to quarrels and therefore they're not worth even investing good dialogue about. And then finally today we gain some skills about how to have a great conversation by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And my hope is this, is that as we move forward and we engage these kind of conversations, we would do what we said we'd set out to do today. And this is our now what statement. Because there are so many areas in which we as followers of Jesus who are in fellowship together here at Trinity Church, so many areas that we will disagree, um, 
we need to be able to have loving, healthy conversations with one another. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who are desperately in need of you. And we need you on so many fronts. We need you in so many ways. We need you for just even the substance of the ways that we would have a typical conversation. God, there are many of us who would just like to be more independent than that. We just like to be able to handle ourselves well. And God, what you keep reminding us in this season, what you have said so many times to me is how dependent I am, how reliant I am upon your spirit, and how desperately I am in need of you. Help us not to balk at that. Help us not to push away, but help us to embrace the true, genuine need that we have. And that is that we would be a people who rely upon you even to have these kinds of healthy dialogues that we've looked at today. God, in my life, where there is a lack of humility, would you bring that? In my life, where there's a lack of agape love, would you bring that? And God, in my life related to skills of being someone who is, at times, quick, uh, slow to, to listen, who can be quick to speak and who can be quick to anger, God, invert the adverbs in my life, and I know I can't do that any other way than what you have done for me. God, this week today, would you grow us in our understanding of how much not only do we need you, but how much you're there for us and how much you are there to provide exactly what we do need. We love you, and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.